told you that we uh, have spent the summer up at a place called Hume Lake, kind of about an hour east of Fresno, up in the mountains in a large Christian camp. We got there kind of beginning of June and did about seven weeks of hanging out with students and, and kind of a, each one of our kids had jobs at camp, big camp, about 1,700 kids every week coming in, about 350 on summer staff up there. And so just a, a phenomenal time of ministry, teaching about uh, missions and challenging students to think about the world and then meeting with a whole bunch of people throughout the week along with uh, teaching and, and preaching out of God's Word. But one of the things that definitely happened to us this summer is, you know, you, you answer a lot of questions. People naturally, okay, you're from Ecuador, you know, where exactly is that? You know, occasionally we would have somebody say, oh, Ecuador, I, you know, how is Africa? And, you know, we would say, well, you know, Africa's cool, but we, we don't actually live there. We live in South America. And, and some of the questions that would come up, you know, what are, what are some of the differences? And, of course, we would talk about language. You know, we, they speak Spanish there and a couple other languages, about 11 people groups. But the predominant language is, is Spanish. Um, some greetings are different. Instead of handshakes, you, you really kiss people. Um, it's almost kind of like an air kiss. You, you just sort of put your cheeks together. And um, I remember the first week I was there, I thought I would demonstrate it when I was teaching with junior hires. And so I, uh, without really thinking, pulled a junior high girl out of the audience. And I, I had her up on stage with me. And I'm sort of talking about the greeting. And then, and then it hits me. Okay, I'm, I'm 39. She's probably 11. And she's never met me before, and now I'm, I'm, no, there's no way I'm going to kiss her in public right here. I'm not going to do it. So I just said thank you, and I, you know, sent her on back down to her seat. Kind of a uh, moment for me where I went, okay, I, I need to think about these things. <laughs> would, would answer a lot of different questions, but I, I came across uh, something that radically different, and it reminded me just how different sometimes where we live and in the United States here where, where I grew up. I was reading the Fresno Bee. Yeah, there's, there's quite the newspaper, but I was reading, uh, reading the Fresno Bee, came across this article that's entitled, That'll Do Pig. And I don't know if you can see this, but really great picture about a cute little girl and a guinea pig. Right? And it's about, um, it's about pets. Anybody in here ever have a, a guinea pig for a pet? Anybody ever have one in your house? Okay, a couple of those. You know, we, we had a lot of different pets growing up. I had... You know, cats, dogs, goldfish, birds, hamsters. Here's a whole article about, you know, guinea pigs as pets. And, and the article goes on to say that, you know, in, in some regards, guinea pigs are no different from cats, dogs, rabbits, or other pets. People get them without knowing what kind of pet they'll be. And then they're disappointed when they're different than they're expected. Or they treat them like toys for their children, and when the novelty wears off, they get rid of them. It's sad because it sends a message that a pet is a disposable commodity. And I'll hold on to that phrase for a second. And then it says about all these basically low-cost, low-maintenance pets ask their owners for is food, water, daily exercise, and of course, companionship and love. Guinea pigs do drink a lot, and their cages need frequent cleaning. In many respects, a guinea pig is a perfect pet, this article says. Especially for children, apartment dwellers, and people who want an animal companion that isn't too demanding. And the article goes on to say that, you know, if you get tired of your guinea pig, and then it lists about 18 animal shelters at the bottom of this article where you can drop off your guinea pig when you get tired of it. Okay? Now, at first glance, you say, ah, it's kind of cute. And I'm looking at this going, okay, these are pets. And it's a whole article. You know what they do with these in Ecuador? 
they eat these. They eat these. Do you get outside the city? This is a major food group right here. Hey, okay? I, I, I have been in people's homes. Hey, I've been in people's homes outside the city. Quito's a big city, two million people, but you get outside in, in some of the rural areas. I have been where I step into a home and kind of the doorway is a little taller. You have to kind of step over it. And I, and I remember visiting and, and as I walked in, there's just a single 40 watt light bulb in the middle of the room and you kind of walk in and I just sort of immediately realized that, that the floor is moving. And, and then, I, you know, my eyes sort of adjust and I, I realize, no, it's not moving. There's things running around on the floor and, and they're guinea pigs. And, and usually in most homes, they'll have one room where they'll keep them. And, and you know, they breed pretty quick. And, and I was visiting this home and, and the lady was there and said, oh, oh, you're here. And she said, you must be hungry. And so she, you know, kind of went and looked over and she went, wham, grabbed one. And, you know, the little guy's just, he's trying to get away and she's got him and the lady disappears into the kitchen and 20, 25 minutes later, you know, she brings it back and he's not moving anymore. He's just sort of just sort of hanging out there looking at you. And they just sort of, uh, you know, toast them a little bit, leave the head and everything on and then they serve it to you. A couple of potatoes. It's um, it's kind of that prayer where I, I've often prayed, Lord, I will get it down. You keep it down. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it is... Uh, there are some there are some radical differences between there and, and here. Um, our, our family we don't eat them a whole lot, uh, like not as, at all really. One of the problems is that the fur kind of gets stuck in your teeth a little bit, you know, and it's it's bad. No, we we uh, it's kind of a novelty thing for us. We prefer the mainline types of beef that are available here and chicken, that sort of stuff. But you get outside the city and there are people who absolutely love, love guinea pig. It's, it's actually a, a great problem. You know, instead of the whole animal shelter thing here, if people get tired of them, just box them up, send them down. and <laughs> I, Ecuadorians would take care of that. No problem. One of the, one of the things, though, that, that I see, there are a lot of differences. But one of the things that I'm often reminded of is that there are some real similarities, too. And one of those similarities is how important it is that God's Word be, be held up and God's Word be studied and taught and learned and for us to realize that if life change is going to take place, it has got to come from God's Word. Amen. It's got to be true in our lives. Um, was with a, a, a buddy of mine who was up at Hume Lake at this camp and he had been up there for years and years as a camper. And, and I, I just was reminded of something, how important God's Word is. I, I was talking with him. He had done junior high and high school up there, and he now works up there. And I asked him this question, Derek, tell me the greatest speaker you ever heard at Hume Lake. And he, he kind of looked at me and you know, kind of cocked his head. And, and, and he was confirming what I really believed. I said, you don't, you don't remember one, do you? And he said, no, I don't. I said, give me the greatest talk you ever heard. Same response. Ah. I said, but Derek, this place radically changed your life, didn't it? And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. The years of coming and studying God's Word radically changed my life. But we need to always remember that it is not about the communicator. It is not about the message. It is about God's Word. 
And it is about realizing that this is what we need to uphold. Um, We're headed towards Matthew 28 tonight. And so if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Matthew 28. My commitment to you, as I have shared before, is to share with you what God is teaching me. As I study God's Word, I'm, I'm passing that on. As God has hit me between the eyes and in the heart, my desire is to pass that on to you. Let's pray and let's invite God to continue to speak to us as we study here in Matthew 28 tonight. Lord, thank you for uh, this evening. And again, thank you more than anything else that we have the truth of your word. We have it in its entirety. We don't just have pages or little sections. We have the whole thing. We have it in our language. We can understand it. We have the freedom to study it and read it. We probably have multiple versions on our shelf or in our car. It's freely available to us, and thank you for that. There are places in the world where that's not true. So thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. And Lord, you tell us it's his job to guide us in truth, to remind us of all the things that Jesus taught, to convict us, to encourage us. So I pray that that would take place here tonight. Lord, use your word, use your spirit, not just to challenge, but to change our lives. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And you ever notice that the problem with life is that sometimes just about when you have something figured out, it's past you, and you don't really think about the process anymore? You ever ever realize that? I, I remember when I was 16, I told you yesterday about getting a speeding ticket, which was some interesting conversation at yesterday's lunch table with my parents about that. But um, I'm try not to divulge, give you any more secrets of my life as a teenager. But I remember when I was learning to drive, learning to drive a stick shift. Did you ever remember that? I, I remember being down in Southern California. My cousin Katrina, who had a, a you know early Toyota Celica, kind of a brown hatchback, and and I had my driver's license, but the the truck I was driving, Dad's truck was an automatic. Didn't have a lot of experience. And she said to me, hey, I could teach you to drive a stick shift. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I've heard it's hard and, I, you know, it's difficult. She said, no, no, I, I can do that. I can teach you. Let's go. And so we jumped into her silica. I jumped behind the driver's, you know, steering wheel. And she was over in the passenger. And she's describing it to me. Now, it's not too difficult. Go ahead and turn it on. Okay, I got that part. Yeah, good. And then she said, now, there's three pedals down there. You know, there's a the gas and the brake and the clutch. And, and you're going to kind of work the clutch and the gas at the same time. And, and, and then there's some dials in front of you. And all she's describing this. And she said, well, let's just do it. Okay, no problem. Here's what you want to do. You want to just let the clutch out. And then you'll begin to go and give a little bit of gas. Well, you know, my first inclination was no problem. I just took my foot off the clutch. That's <laughs> what I did. So the clutch came flying up, you know, and we're hopping along like, you know. We're a kangaroo, and, and, and pretty soon, you know, she's in a neck. No, she wasn't in a neck brace. She should have been. And, you know, pretty soon she, the, the car dies, right? That's what's going to happen. And so now she said, no, no, that, that doesn't work. You know, that, okay, you need to give it a little bit of gas. Hey, but, you know, when you're learning that thing, you kind of go to extremes, don't you? And so this time I thought, all right, no problem. I'm letting the clutch. I'm going to give it some gas. Well, I did that, you know, same type thing. I just sort of moved my foot off the clutch. But this time I jumped on the gas. Okay, well, you know, smoke's coming out of the back tires, and, you know, we're dropping half her tire in the parking lot, and neighbors are pointing, and, you know, we're squealing out. Now, that, that whole process of learning to drive a stick shift, 
you know, getting that down. And, and, and yet now I, I jump in a car that, that's got a stick shift. I don't even think about it. You know, I, I don't. I, I just jump in and, you know, can drive it. I've, I've driven large buses. I've done all sorts of things like that. And, and for some of you that have been driving a long time, you say, you know what, that, that process, I, I learned it, but I really kind of forgot about it. It, it was by me by the time I began to really appreciate that, that this was worthwhile in my life. But, it, it, you know, it's not just my experience. Think about yours. Do you remember tying your shoes, learning to tie your shoes? Do you remember that? I, you know, do you remember the little, you know, loop and you go around the loop or, you know, pull it? I remember my kids coming home and teaching me bunny ears. You know, I'm like, bunny ears? What is this? It's, it's, you don't do bunny ears. You do one loop and you go around. I, I remember they gave us a little shoe with laces on it that we took home. I, I don't know how many of you today celebrated when you put your shoes on. Yeah, know how to tie these shoes. Uh, look down, I don't even have laces on tonight. I got the slip-on deals, right? But, you know, we learned, you remember that process, it was, it was painstaking in your life, maybe, learning that. How, how about learning your phone number? Do you, do you ever remember learning your phone number? I went to Patterson Elementary School. I remember kindergarten, we had to learn our phone number. That's so much pressure on a kindergartner. <laughs> you know, the, the day would come, the teacher would say, okay, little Philip, what's your phone number? Oh, seven, nine... Oh, I can't do it. No. They, they were giving away the little phone on a keychain if you could memorize it. I remember walking the six or seven blocks to school saying it over and over and over again. I learned my phone number. You know, as if you're going to call yourself in kindergarten. I don't know why that's so important, but, but you got to learn it. Can, can you imagine if you were to go back to kindergarten right now with the skills you have? Can you imagine that? You just roll into the kindergarten classroom and re-enroll with what you have now and the knowledge you have. Think about how you would dominate. You know, the, the teacher decides, you know, the whole scissor thing, we're going to teach you scissors. And here's the ditto with the, you know, the, the circle and the square and cut on the lines. She hasn't even passed it out and you're going, done, I'm done. You know, glue comes. All the other little kids are eating theirs, not you. You've been there. You know that. Dot, dot, not a lot. I've solved that problem. You know, kickball. Some of you guys would dominate a kickball. You know, four squared come around. I got the king square. That's because I'm 39. The rest of you guys are five, you know. We, we would absolutely dominate. We have learned so much. And life is really about learning, isn't it? It's about learning. It's about process. And, and sometimes we forget that in our life. Sometimes we forget about how much we've learned from kindergarten up until now. Some of you, the, the jobs that you're doing, the technical skills you've learned. You go, you know what, I've learned so much. I've been trained. Learning is a process. And, and you know, that is exactly true in our spiritual lives. And we forget this sometimes. We forget it. And, and those of us that have walked with the Lord for a long period of time, or some of you, you've forgotten the process in your life. And so tonight, as we're talking about walking with God, what does that look like? 
I want us to think for a few minutes tonight about the fact that in our spiritual lives, once we come to Christ, it is a process of growth. And we're going to get a peek a little bit tonight into some, some people's lives that that process took place. Sometimes we just assume that you're just supposed to get it. You're just supposed to know it. And I want us to remember tonight that our spiritual lives, the growth in our life, the process God is taking us through, sometimes we need to stop and appreciate where He's taken us. Sometimes we need to say, you know what, I'm okay with the process. Recently in Ecuador on a a break that I had, I was reading through this passage of Scripture. And let's just read it together. Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to come back to a couple of verses. And you know what's happening here. You know that Jesus has been crucified on the cross. You know that He died, chapter 27. They buried Him. The guards are there in front of the tomb, and then... Chapter 28 of Matthew, we see these verses in verse 1. It says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid, and they shook him and became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he sat. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. I was reading these verses. And I was struck. In verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. And I'm reading that verse and and the thought hits me and, and I'm chewing on this. Why did the angel have to remind those girls about this? Why, why didn't they know this? Why why did the angel say, don't be afraid, I know you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. As if they went with the expectation that he was still going to be in the tomb. The angel said, you know what, don't be afraid, he's not here, he's risen, just like he told you. And we can go back in the Gospels and we can see that Jesus told them that over and over and over and over again. That I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again after three days. And the question that I wrote down as I was studying this passage is, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they get it? And so I started looking at some of the other Gospels thinking, well, maybe, maybe it was just here. Maybe it was just this Gospel here. Maybe they got it in the other ones. But when I went over to Mark, I see that Mary, Mary, and Salome asked the question, who, who will roll away the stone? They had, they had no expectation that he was going to be out of the tomb. They're thinking to themselves, okay, we're going to prepare a dead body. Who's going to roll away the stone? Again, they, they don't get it. They're not, they're not thinking about it. 
I look over in Luke, the woman. The angel says, remember how he told you? The angel puts a question to the women. Don't you remember? He told you that he's not going to be here. Why didn't they believe it? Why didn't they understand? I turn over to John 20. And and the women say to Peter and John, they've taken the body and we don't know where they put it. And then it says right there in John 20, they did not understand from Scripture. They had been told. Jesus had hung out with them. Their relationship with Jesus had changed their life. They put their faith in Him. They walked with Him. They saw Him do incredible miracles. But now we get to the crucial point. And they don't believe. They don't go to the tomb with the expectation that, you know what, He's not going to be here. Why? I want to suggest three things to you. Number one, they were human. They were human beings. They were prone to not believing. They were human beings. Number two, they were learning in the moment. We oftentimes look at Scripture and we see the end of the story, but they didn't see the end of the story. They were learning in the moment. Later on, they would preach incredible sermons about Him. Over the resurrection, over this very moment, we would see the disciples later on in the book of Acts preach unbelievable sermons completely about the resurrection. Later on, they would believe it completely and give their life to it. They were learning in the moment. They were human. And number three, their experiences overruled their faith. Their experiences up until that point completely overruled the faith that they had in Jesus. Think about what they had experienced up to that point. People had died in their life. They had seen people die. And the people that they had seen die, what did they do with them? They buried them. And up until this point, when you bury somebody, what happens? They stay there. Never before in their life had they gone to a tomb and had this experience. You go to the tomb, you find a dead body there. That was their experience. Three things that were happening for them. Number one, they were human. Number two, they were learning in the moment. Number three, their experiences overruled their faith. I find those same three things true in my life. And I'm willing to bet, if you were honest tonight, you'd say those same three things show up in my life too. I'm human. I think most of us are going to share that. You know, flesh and blood, it's here. I'm human. Number two, I'm learning in the moment. I hope you're learning in the moment. I hope that your life and I hope my life were always in the process of learning. And as we talked a little bit about yesterday, not just believing so we can fill it up here in our head, but learning so that we can put it into practice. That's a great question to ask each other. How are you putting into practice the things that you've learned? Because if I'm not putting them into practice, might I suggest that we're really not learning? We're accumulating knowledge. We're storing it up here in our head. But really learning, believing, biblical believing implies action. How are you putting into practice the things that God is teaching you? I'm I'm learning. And number three, uh, my experience often comes in conflict with my faith. 
You know, faith, the Bible describes faith, doesn't Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And, and, and we throw that out and we say that's what faith is. Faith is being sure and faith is being certain of something I've never seen and for some of us never experienced. And sometimes if we're honest, that comes into conflict with what I've experienced. And when we're talking about growing in our faith as a process, part of what we're grabbing onto is, you know what? Sometimes my experience and my faith come in conflict with each other. I read something in Scripture that says, you know what? God created the world in seven days. Nothing in my experience have I ever seen anything like that. And Scripture tells me that God did that. I read in Scripture that, that I, Jesus, God says I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Nobody in my experience is like that. Nobody. My wife, my kids, my parents, my friends, nobody is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We're constantly changing. And just hang out with junior hires for a while. And you go, you know what? The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, you're not the same for 15 minutes. And, and, and God says that He's the same for all eternity. Amen. And yet my experience and my faith. Jesus said, I have not left you as orphans. And yet for some of us, you've been left by everybody. Parents, spouse, kids. Friends, you say, you know what, Jesus, I want to believe that. I want that faith. I want to be sure. I want to be certain. But nothing in my experience matches up with what I'm believing. It's creation. It's the same. It's he hasn't left his orphans. He says, if I go away, I will return. And yet we see people go away all the time and they never return. And for some of us, we say, well, God, it seems like you're never going to come back. And yet you tell me right here that you are. Question for you tonight. What happens when your experience doesn't match God's word? What, What happens for you? When your experience doesn't match what we're reading in Scripture. That that can be a tension-filled question in a place like this. Because we say, you know what? We've given our lives completely to God's Word. But if we're going to be honest, sometimes my experience day-to-day does not match up with what I'm learning. What, What do I do? Do you lean on your experience or do you lean on God's Word? Probably the truth is we do a little bit of both. Don't we? We do a little bit of both. We want to say, I'm, I'm completely sold out here. But day to day, those experiences that I run into at work, I've got to make that choice. Do I, I go the way of God's Word completely or do I go the way that my experience has taught me? And we're faced with that decision all day long. And the truth for us, if we're honest, is sometimes we rely on God's Word and sometimes we lean on experience. 
I see that these women did exactly that. When they got here, they listened. The angel said, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. They did that. They had that moment where they said, you know what? Nothing that I've experienced up until now has been like this. But you said to do this, I'll do it. And they took a step and they looked. Then go. Quickly and tell his disciples he's risen. And there you will see him, now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Man, that, that categorizes my life sometimes. Afraid, but filled with joy. I don't know how this is going to turn out. My experience is not matched up with what God is teaching me. That's why I look at that definition of faith, of, of being sure, of being certain. Of something that I have not seen, something I hope for. Growing your faith is a process. Can I suggest to you tonight that you do not have to have it all together? You do not have to have it all together. I am so glad when I look through Scripture, I see men and women who did not have it all together. And as Christians, when we understand the process that God is taking us through, can we say that? Can we embrace that? That I do not have to have it all together. And we do not need to demand of each other that they have it all together. Because as soon as I demand of you that you have it all together, what that's going to cause you to do is that's going to cause you to go into hiding from me. Because if my expectation is that you have it all together and you don't, and I don't, then that's when we begin to put up those false walls and those false fronts. And we become what Jesus encountered so many times with the Pharisees, people who understood the truth in their head, but absolutely did not practice it in their life. You do not have to have it all together. We do not need to demand of each other to have it all together. Parents, are we allowing our kids room to grow? I want to be the first person that says to my kids, I want you to walk with God. But there's that incredibly important time where, you know what, it's not my faith, it's not grandma and grandpa's faith, it's not family faith, it's got to be your faith. And so in this process of realizing that my faith encounters my experience every single day, I've got to remember that growing our faith, Walking with God is a process. Everybody in God's Word that I read about learned that. And now it's filled with ups and downs. Times where you celebrate sky high. And times where absolutely I'm on the bottom. Growing our faith is a process. I want to share with you several things about that tonight. Growing my faith is a process. Number one, I need to admit that sometimes it's hard and it's frustrating and it's confusing. Sometimes I need to admit that. It's hard, it's frustrating, and it's confusing. Does it mean I've lost my joy? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that sometimes in the middle of trying to encounter my experience and my faith and putting into practice what God is teaching me for these people right here when they came to the tomb, I believe they got there and said, okay, this doesn't make a lot of sense. We thought we were coming here to anoint his body. Who's going to roll away the stone? Somebody stole the body. 
It all worked out at the end. God continued to work. But for them in that moment, it was hard, frustrating, and confusing. It doesn't mean that they lost the faith. It doesn't mean that they left the faith. It doesn't mean that they'll never get it. But it's realizing in that moment that, you know what? Hang in there. God is faithful, and he's going to show you that. But those moments come into our lives when our faith does not match up with our experience or our expectations. And we bring our expectations to God, and all of a sudden something happens in my life where I lose that job. Or or I encounter that disease, or somebody I love encounters that disease, and I say, wait a second, God, I don't get it. This isn't what I thought I signed up for. And yet God is amazing at bringing good out of what we see as horrible things. We see that in Romans 8, don't we? That all things work at what? Together. Together. For what? For good. To those whom God has called. God is in the process of bringing that together. But oftentimes we don't see it. They didn't see it. They're at the tomb standing there. Saying, you know what? This is hard. This is confusing. This is frustrating. Growing our faith is a process. Number two, I want to suggest to you that it's okay to doubt. You go, that's a scary thing to say from the front. It's okay to doubt. But you know what? I've only got to look over a few verses. Look at the chapter you're in, Matthew 28. And look at verse 16. In this process of growing our faith, admitting sometimes it's hard, frustrating, and confusing, number two, it's okay to doubt. Look at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. That verse blows my mind. Here's guys that were the disciples. They were called by Jesus. They walked with Him. They saw Him do amazing things. And now just before He comes back, He says, come to the mountain. And it says that they worshipped Him, but some doubted. But along with blowing my mind, that encourages me too. Because I'm going to be honest again with you. In the process of growing our faith, Sometimes doubts creep in. Sometimes doubts creep in. And my challenge to you as a congregation, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is what do you do with those? Because the the temptation is to stuff those in our pocket and not let anybody know about that. Last night I was together with my brother and my two boys and we were out watching my brother play a softball game. And afterwards we went and we, we sat at Wendy's. And in the middle of our our hamburger and our frosty and our fries. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? My my young son said to me, Dad, how do you know for sure? How do you know for sure about God? How do you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven? Now, you know what he's expressing to me? Dad, I'm, I'm not positive. You know what I loved about that moment? I loved that he said that out loud. Because you know what? If you've never said it out loud, I guarantee you've thought it in here. 
And so right there in that Wendy's, I said, you know what, buddy, let's talk about that. What, what, what does the Bible say? First John says, he who has a son has life, and he who does not have a son does not have life. Do you have the son? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Well, when, when did you get the son? And we talked all the way through that. And so, you know what, let's talk about where those doubts come from. You know what, the enemy's going to sow those into your life. The enemy's going to come, and he's going to sow those doubts. And doubts are not bad. It's when I get stuck there. It's when I don't process those doubts. It's when I think that, you know what, I'm going to hide these. Take your Bible and look over at Exodus chapter 3 for a second. Way back. Exodus chapter 3. I love this passage of Scripture. Exodus chapter 3. It's, it's Moses in the burning bush. It's God calling Moses. And you know what? Moses, great Moses, great leader. You know where Moses was stuck with? He was stuck with doubt. And he asked questions over and over and over again. Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? That's a doubting question. Who am I? And God says right there in verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. You know, he never answered his question. He didn't say, well, Moses, let me, let me tell you about, you know, seven qualities that I think are pretty incredible about you. <laughs> you know, you know, Moses, as I was strolling through heaven, as I looked down, let me tell you about the, the attributes in your life that I think are so impressive. He didn't do that. But Moses was full of doubt. He All the way through this passage, you, you read three and four sometime. He, he just keeps coming back to God and asking the same thing. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose that I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father sent me. And they asked me, What is his name? Then what will I tell them? Yeah, Moses thought that was a great question. Okay, God, I get there and, and you know, tell them. And, and, and they say, Oh, what's God's name? Got you there. Come on, Moses, this is the best you can do. And then God said to Moses, I am who I am. We keep going. Chapter 4, Moses answered, what if they did not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord didn't appear to you? And finally, God says, okay, Moses, take the staff. What do you have? And he gives them some things as much for Moses as he does for the people he was going to talk to. But Moses was full of doubt. Abraham was full of doubt. You know what? Even to a point where he said, I'm blowing into this town and I'm going to lie about my wife. Because maybe these people are going to think she's beautiful and they'll take her from me. Did he forget that God said, you know what? Like the stars in the sky, I will make your inhabitants. Like the sand on the sea, I will make your inhabitants. Leave all your stuff and go to a land I will show you. No, he didn't forget that. But in that moment, doubt crept into his life. And in those moments in our life, doubt creeps in. Mark chapter 9, verse 24, great story about Jesus healing a boy's son. And Jesus says, you know what, all things are possible to those who believe. And in Mark 9.24, the man in an incredible moment of honesty says, You know what, Lord? I believe. Help my unbelief. Man, we need to say that to God in those moments when we doubt. 
Man, we need to say to each other, you know what? Can, can you just hang out with me for a minute? I need to just be honest. I'm not real sure about this. Let me tell you about this stuff creeping in. And that's why we've got to have the body in the middle of the process of growing our faith. We were never meant to be out there on our own, living out our own personal private faith, coming together as a body, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We see that over and over and over in Scripture. We've got to come together as a body. But in this process of growing our faith, we've got to admit that sometimes it's hard, frustrating, and confusing. And sometimes we've got to understand that it's okay to doubt. It doesn't make you a bad Christian. It doesn't mean you've lost your faith. Maybe it just means that the enemy has come in and beat you up a little bit. And we need to cry out to God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And we need to be willing, like my young son did yesterday, to say, you know what, can I just ask this question out loud? How many times do we have that question in here and we don't get it out because we're just not sure what people are going to think? And I think one of the attributes of spirituality is honesty. To be able to say, you know what, this is where I'm at. And that's why Scripture says we need to speak Scripture in each other's life. Number one, as we're growing, admit it. Sometimes it's hard for us to any confusion. Number two, it's okay to doubt. Number three, stay in God's Word. Stay in God's Word. In the process of growing your faith, you've got to stay in God's Word. Look what happens right here in the middle of their doubt. You get down to verse 7 and then go quickly tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you. There you will see him. Now I have told you. And verse 8, so the woman hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and he says, greetings. And they came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus spoke to them. You know what? In the middle of our process of growing our faith, we have got to stay in God's Word. And sometimes, especially when we're young in our faith, when it is hard and confusing, when we are having doubts, sometimes God's Word is the first thing that we get rid of. Sometimes in the middle of your busyness, in the middle of your schedule, in the middle of all the things you're doing, you're going to church, you're doing that, but you're not spending time here in God's Word. And in this process of growing our faith and our walk with God, you've got to stay there consistently. Hebrews 4.12 says, God's Word judges my thoughts and my attitudes. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. God's Word is amazing at taking all that's going on in my life and saying, you know what, let me keep you right here on the path. 2 Timothy 3.6 says the, the man of God. God's word is, is given to us so that we may be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. Talking to my brother yesterday and at the same time, he's a salesman. He said, you know what? I would never think about going into a sales meeting without being equipped. I would never think about going into a presentation without knowing all of my facts and all the details and everything about my product. But how many times do I walk into my Christian life without fully understanding God and without spending any time in His Word? Right here in the middle for them, when they're growing their faith, Jesus spoke to them. Do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers. Just before we came to the States, my oldest son and I decided to climb Cotopaxi Mountain. That was our goal anyway. Base camp on Cotopaxi is 15,000 feet. The summit is a little over 19,000. We drove up and you, and you park your car and you park your car at 15 and you got to hike up to about 15.7. And that's where you spend the night and sort of acclimate a little bit. And so we did that. We put our packs on, we left the car and we were going to go up and spend the night. Weather eventually kind of took the mountain and, and socked in all the weather. We didn't make it to the summit. But I got up from the, the parking lot, put my pack on, made it up to the refuge where I was going to spend the night. And now we've gone up about another 1,000 feet. We're close to 16,000 feet. And i got to tell you, I felt worthless. I felt just wrecked. I'm in the refuge going, okay, we've we got to do another 3,500. I, I don't even know if I can make it out of the refuge. And I took my pack off and just felt nauseous and, and, and I felt horrible. A more experienced climber came over to me and she saw that I was really struggling. And she said, you know what? Eat something. Eat something. And I said, eat something? I feel horrible. And she said, no, eat something. Trust me, you'll feel better. And so right there, I went over to my pack and I just got out the smallest. We had some little trail mix. got us some Cheerios. And I put a couple of Cheerios in my mouth and chewed them. And almost instantly... I started to feel better. I ate a little more. Not a lot, but I ate a little more and instantly my physical situation got better. You know what? It's the same thing with God's Word. So many times we drift through our life and we're being hit with temptation or we're giving in to sin or we're not having the victory that we think we should be having or that we want God to be having in our life. And we need to remind each other of that very thing. Eat something. Eat something on a regular basis. And God says, you know what? Do not be conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That happens as I take God's Word and I put it into my life. In this process of growing your faith, have you forgotten the importance of taking in God's Word? The importance of taking it on a daily basis, a little bit, of memorizing a verse and chewing on it. And I know you as a church do an incredible job with that. But it's that same principle, taking God's Word. We need to stay in God's Word. Number four, in the process of, of growing our faith, we need to ask for faith. We need to ask God for faith. You know, James chapter 1 tells us that. That testing develops perseverance. And if I lack wisdom, I need to ask. And when God gives it, I need to believe. I think on a daily basis, we need to ask God for faith. God, I want to see you today. I need you to open my eyes. When Elizabeth's brother David was small, they grew up overseas. And, and he was having trouble in school. Teachers began to kind of think about him in, in kindergarten and first grade as a student that doesn't really pay attention. He's okay as long as there's something close to him, but as soon as we're doing something up on the board, he begins to play around a little bit. It wasn't until first grade that his first grade teacher said to him, you know what, maybe we need to meet with your parents. He met with his parents and said, have you ever had his eyes tested? 
I think he needs glasses. And, and they took him to the doctor, and sure enough, the doctor gave him that test in first grade. And he walked out of the doctor's office with glasses on. Absolutely revolutionized his life. Walked out and, and looked and, and saw a tree and asked his mom, Hey, what are those little green things on the tree? And she said, what, what little green things? Well, those little individual green things, what are those? They said, David, those are leaves. You see, up to that point in his life, what he saw is he just saw one big mass of green. His perspective radically changed when he put those glasses on. You know what? That's the way faith works in our life. We need to ask God for His perspective. We need to see that right here, when they walked out of the tomb, when they were confused, when they were doubting, when they heard Jesus, He said to them, do not be afraid. You know what He was giving them? He was giving them perspective. He was giving them a little injection of faith. And on a daily basis, we need to ask God, you know what, God, I need faith from you. I need that. The last thing is this. We need to keep track of God's goodness. We need to keep track. You know, we're, we're really good at asking God to do things in our lives. And we need to. And we should. But are you keeping track of God's goodness in your life? Do we stop on a regular basis and get away from the busy schedule, from all the running, and say, you know what, I just want to celebrate God's goodness in my life. That's why I love what took place up here. You know what that was? That was celebrating God's goodness. That was celebrating God's goodness in your midst. Deuteronomy chapter 5. God said this to the children of Israel, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember. Too many times in this process of growing our faith, we don't remember very well. Have we stopped and said, God, I remember when I was dead in my sins, dead in my trespasses. I remember when I was without you. You see, when I stop and keep track of God's goodness in my life, God's honored. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 63, On my bed, I will remember you. On my bed, I will remember you. In your prayer time with God, between you and Him, how much of it is remembering Him? In your prayer time, in your journal, how many times do we stop and look back and say, You know what, God, I see how you radically answered my prayers. And you give me that perspective. You help me understand you. Growing our faith is a process. Walking with God is a process. Not our salvation. That is a free gift. Hear me loud and clear. When salvation came to us, it was absolutely free. I could not earn it. I do not deserve it. It is a free gift from God. But in that process of learning our spirituality, learning walking with God, we need to admit to each other that sometimes it is hard and confusing. Sometimes doubts do creep in. In the middle of that, stay in God's Word. Ask for faith. Keep track of God's goodness. Recently in Quito, standing with a friend of mine, and she was struggling so much. 
She was struggling so much in her walk with God. She, she loves God. She's trying to figure out her future and, and where things were going to go for her. And she had tears flying down her face. And we were talking and she was sharing her heart. And all of a sudden, she, she caught herself and she kind of stopped and, and she said, you know what, I, I just need to get it together. My, my kids need to see that I'm strong. The people around me, they're, they're not okay with this. They need to see that I'm strong. And I stopped her and I said, you know what, Cheryl, more than anything else, what your kids need to see is they need to see that you're real. More than anything else, Cheryl, the people around you in this community need to see that you're real. Do you know Jesus? Absolutely. Do you walk with Him? Absolutely. Do you have to have it all together? Absolutely not. And as the students and the teenagers and the adults walk around in this church, as a community rubs shoulders with you on a daily basis, do they see that you're real? Because that's what our world needs to see. More than they need to see us being strong, they need to see us being real. Let's not forget that growing our faith, that's God growing that in each one of us. And it's going to look a little different in your life than it's going to look in my life than it's going to look in your life. And in the midst of that, we need to stop hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, and say, you know what? I love what God's doing in your life. And I love that you reflect Him. But way too many times as Christians, what we do is we measure the outside and we assume the inside. Let's not make any assumptions in here. Let's ask those honest, real questions and then allow each other to be honest. You see, that's what I see in the early church. That each one, as they had needs, they came to each other and said, this is where I'm at. And too many churches today, we never want to admit that we have needs. We never want to admit that anything's wrong. And so we walk through our Christianity just that everything's fine. And I think it's time for us to stop and say, you know what? Yes, I know Jesus. And yes, I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in this process of growing my faith, I want to commit to be real. Amen. And I love this. These ladies came to the tomb and they were real. Jesus met them right there. And why didn't they get it? Because they were human. Because they were learning right in the moment. And because their experience and their faith were in the process of growing together. And not until we stand in heaven will that process be complete. But Jesus did not condemn them. He said, greetings. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you will see me. And that's the beauty of it. As you and I are honest and growing our faith, we will see Him. And when we try to hide it, we don't see Him. Because God says, you know what? Come to me in your honesty.
That's what we need to be. A church that stands between God and people who need Him. Fully committed. Fully honest. In the process of growing our faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again that we can come to you in absolute honesty. Lord, the reality is that sometimes we don't see it. We don't understand it. We don't get it. It's not because there's not enough teaching or not because you haven't done your part in giving us your word. But Lord, growing our faith is a process. Lord, just we see that with the disciples. Thank you for your incredible patience with them. Thank you for your incredible patience with us. Thank you for over and over and over again giving us your abundant grace, your abundant mercy, your abundant love. I pray that we in turn would share that with the people around us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people coming to Christ. Lord, the parties that are going on in heaven on a regular basis. As people are coming to Christ. And Lord, thank you for those men and women in this room that have been Christians a long time. So Lord, regardless of whether they're just getting started or they've walked with you for a long time, remind us that in that process, we need to be filled with grace. And we need to be filled with mercy. And we need to be filled with love for each other. So help us live that way. And when we do that, thank you that we see you. Because that's who you are. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you that it was your idea. Putting believers together to meet on a regular basis so that the world would understand you. And I pray that you continue to do that in this place. Draw people to yourself. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.